0: But can I do that one again? Yeah. I sort of jumped ahead. Yeah, I hit the wrong button. Oh. If you have your Bibles, you and turn to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. How's your prayer life this morning? You know, BJ asked me. He said, "What are you preaching on this this morning?" I said, "Uh, "Prayer." He says, "Man, don't you you preach an awful lot on prayer, don't you?" I said, "Well, I think I do sometimes because it's important." In Isaiah, God said, "For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all people." Prayer is very important to God. He wants to hear from us. We're His children. And we need to have that deep desire to share our life with him. God knows all about us. We're not going to tell him anything he doesn't know. But he desires a relationship with us. And it's hard to have a relationship with him if we're not talking to him, if we're not listening to him. And given the world we live in, some of our best times should be the times we spend with God. We have those prayer cards that we put on the back of the pews for you to put your prayer requests on. We're right now preparing a prayer room, which will be in the parlor back here. Um, We're going to put the the prayer requests on boards. If you have more prayer requests, we'll put them up there. And I encourage you, once we get it open, that anybody that wants to can come anytime and pray. Pray over those uh, requests. And today we're going to look at Psalms that gives us words to pray. Now, I titled it Words to Pray, but I don't know if it's a good title for this or not, because this isn't exactly the, the, the model prayer. Jesus gives us that. But in this Psalm, David gives us an idea some things that he says to God that's important for him in his prayer life, and him talking to God. So I read the children, the first four or five verses there, Psalms 139. Right now, I just want to lead, read the last two. Psalms uh, 139, 23, and 24. So says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us, Father. I thank you for this church and for these people and for this time of worship and time of getting into your word. And, Father, help us to understand that prayer is essential, not just to growth but to the work you've called us to do. Because, Father, we can't do anything outside of prayer. Everything that we do must be done through prayer. And, Father, it helps us to understand who you are and why you love us and your will and and your desire for us to be obedient to you. And everything comes, Father, when we spend time with you. Now, Father, help us to understand that today as we see these words that David wrote to help us understand some things that we need to be praying about. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. So... This psalm was written by David, the man after God's own heart. And, God, and David had a wonderful prayer life. And it shows us some of the best things that we can say to the Lord. You know, we're, we're, we're real good about going and asking him for things. And, and for praying for things. And for praying for people who are sick and people who are hurt. And, and praying for this and that and the other thing. And praying for our struggles and the problems that we have. And praying for our family and friends. Praying for our church. Praying for our community. Praying for the lost. But here, David wants to use this opportunity here to say some things to God that are important to him. And it's important to pray and to understand that God knows that David feels this way. First of all, we should say, Lord, you fully understand me. It's an important thing for us to know. You know, sometimes we feel like we're on an island and there's things going on in my mind that nobody else knows about and there's things... In my life, that nobody can understand, and, and sometimes you feel isolated and separated from everyone else because everybody has a different story. Everybody has different problems and different situations in their life, and, and, and nobody fully understands each, each other. We can sit and talk to each other for hours and still not have a really good idea of what you go through on a daily basis. But David wants to make sure that the Lord knew that he knew that God fully understands him. That's why he's saying in verses 1 through 6. It's true that God knows everything about everything, but we are uh, telling God that that we understand that there's nothing in our life that's hid from Him and that all of our life is important to God. Isaiah 40, uh, 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by numbers. He calleth them, by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, no one faileth. Isaiah told us that God knows the names of all the stars. He has, a, he knows, he has all the galaxies and all the universe that his, his control and in his power. And it's one thing to say that God knows everything, but it takes our focus in a different level when we say, God, know, you know everything about me. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast my downsittings and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God has searched us. He knows about all of my goings and comings, He, he also understands my thoughts. And have you ever thought about something and said, Why did I think about that? Have you ever done something? So why did I do that for? I'm not talking about if you're old and you walk into a room and you don't know what you went in there for, because that happens to me all the time. But I'm talking about sometimes you'll do something, you say, Why did I do that? Or, or why did I say that to that person? Or why did I think that? God knows. He understands. He knows why you do what you do. He knows what you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows the things that bring you down and the things that lift you up. He knows all these things. Nothing you're done, you do is in private, is in secret from God. Look at verses 3 and 4. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. And there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. God knows our ways. He knows why you do what you do. He knows what you're going to do when you leave here today. He knows what you're going to do when you get up Monday morning. He knows where you're going and why you're going there. He knows what you're going to say. He knows every word that's in your mouth before it even comes out. Why would we not pray to God? Sometimes we try to figure out why the world is the way it is and why evil things happen to good people and why all this is going on and Sometimes we just want to go and say, God, why am I the way I am? And Why do we pray? One reason is that he knows us better than we know ourselves. David knew that. Look at verses 5 and 6. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain unto it. So why do I do this? Why don't I do that? And why did I say that? And why did I think that? We may not know, but God fully understands us. And he has his hand upon us. Ain't that a wonderful thought? He won't let us go too far. He won't let us go out of his reach because he always has his hand upon us. Jeremiah Jeremiah 9, 24 says, But let him that glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Not only does he understand us, not only does he know us, but he exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in our life. And he delights in us. Isn't it an amazing thing? I'll be honest with you, there's very few days where I'll do anything that he should delight in. But the Bible says he delights in us. One of the reasons why we pray is we pray because God fully knows us and loves us. Second, we say, God, you are our God and our guard. David told the Lord, you are always near me to guide my life, to protect me, and nothing can take you away from me. Take me away from you. Look at verses seven and eight. It Says, "Whether shall I go from thee, from thy spirit? And whether shall I f- flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Death cannot separate us from God. He has His hand upon us, and if we belong to Him. Nothing can separate us from the presence of God, not even death. So Why do we fear when we?" when we do things, or we go places, because death is just a transition from this life to the next. We can't never never get away from God. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Distance can separate us from the Lord, from the presence of God. No matter where we go, we can go to the far ends of the world. His hand is there to guide us. We are held by the Lord's strong right hand. And this is a wonderful reason to pray. God has us in every situation, no matter where we go. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I mean, it's a wonderful thought to know that once we belong to God, he puts his right hand upon us, and nothing can remove it, not even ourselves. Sometimes when trouble comes, we need to remind ourselves that we are never alone. We're never out of his presence. We are always in the presence of God with his hand upon us, guiding and directing us. Deuteronomy six says, Be strong and have good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he is that doeth good, doth go with thee, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. David knew No matter what I do, even if I sin, even if I separate myself from God, from His will, from, from His direction, he still has understands that God's presence is still there and His hand is still upon him, trying to guide him back into His will. Look at verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be uh, light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Darkness cannot separate us from, the, from God's presence. I used to spend summers at my old Doc's house. He lived in a small community out in the, out in the, um, out in the country from uh, Abington. I liked staying with him, but I didn't like the nighttime because the house was weird. If you, if you walked into the front door, you're in the living room. If you walk around to the right, you go into a bedroom, and you keep on walking around. You go through another door, you go into another bedroom, and then you go into a sunroom, and you keep walking around, and you go through a hallway, and then back into the kitchen, and back into the... To the living room. You can make a complete circle in that house. And in the middle of that, there was a room there. There was a bedroom. And so when I went, that's where I stayed. That was the darkest place I've ever seen in my life. you got to understand that there's no cell phones, there's no digital clocks, uh, there's no street lights. But I mean, you know, even in, even in, even in total darkness, you can still see the, the light from the stars and the moon. Not in that room. Because there's no windows, because you're in the center of the house. So when I'm in there and they cut off the lights, that was the, the, that was the worst darkness I ever felt. It was almost like it was thick, you know? Like, like if you're a young kid like I was, after about 30 minutes of sitting there in the darkness, not being able to see nothing, you close your eyes, you know, your eyes can adjust, you can see a little bit of light, a little bit of something, nothing in that room. And after about 30 minutes, you convince yourself, I've gone blind. And you go over, and you cut on the light. And you hear Paul Dog says, Hey, what's that light on for? You cut the light back off, you lay it back down, you said, At least I'm not blind. But that was the darkest place I'd ever seen in my life. Never seen anything like it. But God could see us there. There's nothing, there's no place we can go, no darkness in our life. And I know you feel like you've been in some dark places. You've You you, you suffer great loss and and great tragedy in your life, and you feel like it's so dark, God can't even see me where I'm at. I don't even want God to see me in this darkness, but God sees you like it's daylight, like it's noon. Nothing can keep you from the presence of God. Psalms 32 and 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go and I will guide thee with mine eye. David knew. David knew. He said, there's times in my life where I can't even see. I can't even see where I'm going to go. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can't even see no good in my life at all. And God says, that's okay. I can see with my eye. You take my hand, I'll lead you to where you need to go. You don't need to see because I can see. God is guiding and protecting even when we can't see. And prayer reminds us that God knows us and is always with us to guide and to guard. Third, David tells God, you made me. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He says, God, you formed me. We are a physical miracle created by the power of God. We are not here by fate, by chance, by luck, by accident. Our life is a wonderful gift from God. All those precious children you've seen up here, I hope they understand that they're not an accident. They're not not a problem. They're They're a complete blessing from God. That God touched a woman's womb and put them there. And has blessed them because he created them the way he wanted them made. Isaiah 43 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. You know why God wants those children to hear, wants to hear from them children in prayer? You know why God wants to hear from us in prayer? Because he made us for his glory. Adam and Eve sinned and broke that relationship that God had, but he sent his son Jesus to restore the relationship. Why? Because we are precious to him. We are for his glory. We're to please him. Why would you not want to go and talk to a God who thinks so much of you that you are there for his glory? Look at verse 14 and 15. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously brought in the lowest parts of the earth. He says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a complex, marvelous creation made to bring glory to God. We are formed by him. The Bible's real clear about that. He just didn't speak and man was made. He picked up soil and blew the breath of life into it and created, molded man out with his hands. We're special to him. We pray to him because it's the one person we can go to that every time we go and talk to him, he's glad to see us. He's, He's sitting there waiting for us to come. He said, oh, thank you for coming, my child. I love you. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. You're marvelous, and you're for my glory. Look at verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet bring on, by being on perfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which is uh, continuance that were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The word fashion means that God is molding us like a potter molds clay on a wheel. He says we're not perfect. God doesn't care if you're perfect or not. God says, God knows you're never going to be perfect because you're a sinner saved by the grace of God. You're still in that flesh. You're still going to, have, you're still going to think the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, and you're not going to want to do the right thing all the time. God knows that because you're not perfect, but he constantly has his hands in our life. He's constantly molding us. And sometimes we think, why did that happen to me? Why did I have to go through that? Because God's hands is molding you into being what you needed to be. Sometimes we need to go through hard times for God to shape us into what He wants us to be. Sometimes He has to, to bring a joy in our life, a, a, a miracle in our life, let, him know, let us know that he, we belong to Him, that He's creating something in us, He's fashioning us, making us into the image of His own Son. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. God sees all, and His care, we don't need to worry about things. Because God has fashioned the days. And He's fashioning us to go through those days. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and the power may be of God and not of us. God says, I need you to be Imperfect. I need you to be human because I don't want people looking at you. I want people to look at you and see me. I want people to look at you and say, I don't know how he went through what he did. He, it must be something divine, some, some kind of divine power to help him go through what he went through. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who will cry out to him and know that he's in control that he is shaping and molding them to what he needs them to be. Isaiah 64a says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art the potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. David said, Listen, you made me. You created me. You put me in my mother's womb. And now I'm out, and you look at me, and I know I'm not perfect. And David sins against God, but he's still a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he confessed his sins. He repented from his sin. And God was using that sin to create in him what he needed David to be. A man who had the the troubles in his life and the turmoil in his life and the problems in his life. A man who knew that he needed God more than he needed anything else. A, a, A man that could write these Psalms. So that we could look at him and say, wow, God is good. No matter what's going on in my life, God is good. I may not understand what's happening, but I know that God made me. I know He's creating something in me, and He's molding me to what He needs me to be. And all we should want to be is a vessel for His glory. A vessel to hold the gospel of Jesus Christ. An earthen vessel, imperfect, not right, with cracks and flaws, but in the Master's hands. He can use it for people to see Him and not us. I'm four, I'm sorry. David also tells God that I love how you think of me. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them, that I should count them! They are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Now, sometimes we get down on ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not what I need to be. Oh, I can can make you a list of the ways I've failed God before. Not just in the past week, but in my past life. I uh, I I can just make a list of how I've let him down. But that's not what he thinks of us, is it? David was not upset that God knows all about him, all his faults and all his problems, all his sins. There's a great feeling knowing that we are precious to God. I, had a, I talked to a young man bef- uh, not too long ago, and I told you all about this, but he was worried that God was angry with him because he didn't come to church. And I had to reassure him, let him know that God doesn't think that way about you. You're precious in God's sight. You're precious. He has great thoughts about you. He has thoughts that he has a heavenly home that you're going to go to where you'll never suffer again. He's not mad. He's not going to punish you. He's not looking to correct your problems. He's looking to tell you that he's got thoughts that you're greater than you could ever think of for yourself. God has the whole universe set before him. Eight billion people on this planet and growing. And he's sitting there thinking about you. If that don't humble you, if that don't make you feel special, that he has thoughts about you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it's because the Father had a thought about you to draw you to himself. To draw you to salvation, to draw you to his son. His love draws us to him. Our worth is found in God's love, not in others. Too many of teenagers, too many of the people in this world are trying to find their worth in other people's eyes. They look at social media and all these influencers and, and, and they find value of what people think and say about them. There's no value in that. The only value we have is found in God himself. Who loves us with a love that is unreachable, undeniable. A love that sent his son to the cross to die for us. David says, Lord, I am thankful that I am on your mind. Fifth, he also tells God that his enemies are my enemies. Look at verses 19 through 22. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not uh, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? I am not, and am I not grieved with thee, those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred, and count Them, mine enemies. David says, Your enemies are my enemies. Now, the Bible tells us that we should love our enemies, right? And this is true. But we're not supposed to love their rebellion against God. We're not supposed to love their sin. We don't love evil and sin and pride. We must hate what God hates, and God hates sin. Paul gives us a good example of this in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul is witness to King Agrippa. And in verse 27 it says, And King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, Accept these bonds. Paul was pleading with King Agrippa. He says, you believe the prophets, King? I know you believe them. You, you know the Bible. You know the Old Testament. You know what it says. You know what the prophets are written. You, you believe. And he tells Paul, he says, Paul, you almost convinced me. You almost persuaded me to believe. Paul didn't hate him because he arrested him. Paul didn't hate him that he's going to send him to Rome. Paul hated the fact that he would not believe. He said, I would wish that you and everyone that hears me would be like me. Not arrested and not in bonds, but that you would be like me knowing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you can have eternal life with a relationship with him. Paul knows that we were all once enemies with God. He says in Romans 5, uh, 9 and 10, says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, which more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We know what it's like to be enemies with God. Before being saved, we're all enemies with God. Because it says, if you're not serving God, you're serving Satan. And we don't wish the destruction of anyone... But we hate the rebellion. We hate the sin. But we show them God's love. We started a a lesson in our Sunday school class about witnessing, about sharing our faith with people. It's the most important thing we can do. If you hate what God hates, then your desire is for them to not be enemies with God, but to be friends with God, to be children of God. Romans twelve, nineteen through twenty one says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing you shall heap uh, coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We're surrounded by people who are hungry for the bread of life. We should feed them. We're surrounded by people who thirst for that living water that we have an abundance of. We should give them to the drink. God's hatred for sin should be the driving force to love the sinner. It should be our driving force to be proclaiming the gospel, to sharing our faith, to, to telling someone about Jesus Christ. But in doing so there's no friendship with the world. James told us in James 4, verses 1 through 4 says, From hence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence, even uh, of your lust, that war in your members. Ye you lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, and ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that uh, the friendship of the world is enemy with God whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. the Bible tells us all the time that in different places where God where Jesus went and had dinner or, or ate with uh, sinners and publicans and he would go there but he went there because he loved them he didn't go there to participate in their sin, or to rejoice in their rebellion against God. He went there because he had something better for them. And we're not to love the world, but we're to love the sinner. So tell God that your enemy is, that his enemy is your enemy. And finally, David tells God to keep your hand on me. David, who killed Goliath, who became king, who'd done so many wonderful things, he knew that he was just one step away from going, away, going his own way. He was just one sin away from separating himself from God. And he's begging God here, he said, God, please keep your hand on me. He ends where he begins. He's telling God to keep doing what you're doing in my life. But David wants to go farther and deeper with God. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. It says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He's pleading. He says, Search me. Lead me. Guide me. Reveal to me what's there that doesn't please you. Help me to be better than I am. Help me to be more serving to you. Help me to be more obedient to you. Lead me to heaven. There's a warning here. If you pray for God to search you, be ready for what he reveals. Listen, that's hard to pray. You're saying, search me, O God. God already knows you. But you're telling him to search you because you want to know what he sees. One day we'll stand before Jesus and we'll give account of everything we've done and everything we've not done. But it's something for you to say, God, Search me, try me, know my heart, my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me. God molds us and shapes us into the image of his son, but be ready to repent and to follow God's lead when he puts his hand on you. Jesus took our sins on the cross when he died for us. Now he will lead us to the way everlasting. But on the way, sin can creep into our hearts. Wickedness can come in there. We may look at the world in ways that we shouldn't look at the world. We may hold some sins as not as bad as other sins. And he's saying, Lord, no. Reveal to me any wickedness in me. Reveal anything in me that you don't like. And mold it out of me. So this week, when you're praying pray for the things you pray for pray for those who are sick pray for your family pray for the lost pray for all the things you pray for but spend some time thanking god for knowing you for guiding and guarding you for making you for thinking precious thoughts about you for making his enemies your enemies and for the continuing search of you and your heart and your thoughts and your life and and leading you to everlasting life. Every head valley, every eye closed. I'm not going to sit here and say, I know your prayer life, because I don't. It's a wonderful thing about God.